This is IA Story Share, a podcast from Imagining America, where publicly engaged artists, designers, scholars, students, and community members share stories about their life and work. Our first series of conversations comes from people who attended the 2017 Imagining America National Conference, which was held in and around Davis, California. This time, a conversation between Marilyn Hayes and Sandy Holman. Marilyn is a longtime community organizer and activist in Northern California. She's the founder and director of We People, a community-based organization designed to serve the needs of African-American children and families. Sandy is the co-founder of the Culture Co-op, an organization she developed to assist people and organizations working with equity and diversity in education, businesses, and the community. The two have known each other for close to three decades. They identify as Sankofa sisters. Sankofa is a word in the Twi language of Ghana that translates to go back and get it. The Sankofa bird has been adopted as a symbol in the African diaspora to represent the need to reflect on the past to build a successful future. Sandy honors Marilyn as an elder from whom she's learned a lot over the years. They discuss the importance of cultural identity, the failure of the educational system to teach African-American youth their history, learning from the experience of elders, and their concerns about the future of social justice in the U.S. For me, um, the current experience of what is heightened fascism around the Uh, world, mm -hmm. heightened white Mm -hmm. supremacy around the world, heightened hate, um, heightened disasters as a result of environmental changes, heightened um, lack of safety. I've been stopped by the police twice in the last year as I've driven around in Davis and and just the feelings that they've had. And so I feel like we're at a precipice of sorts where throughout history, we have seen different kinds of of Mm flare-ups of what could appear to be moving into incredibly scary, crazy, the top is spinning to the side, atypical times. I mean, we've always had oppression. We've always had injustice. Mm, mm, We've always had mm. um, lack of equity. But this time in this place right now is very, very dangerous, Mm -hmm. scary, even if it remains hopeful too, scary and unsettling the masses that are being affected by hate, by disaster, by calamity. So I'm struck as I think about my personal going about how I don't, I've never felt totally safe, but I feel safe because of my my faith. Mm-hmm. But I feel less safe in this climate at this time because of the acrimony, the craziness, and the um, the leadership around the world mm-hmm. that is particularly... Mm-hmm. Um, undesirable, not just in this country, but undesirable uh, as we look at the collective of humanity. Well, I don't know if it would, it reflects a particular incident, but when you speak about where we are now in time, and I think about where I come from, because I've watched over the decades, I've watched many of the things that are happening now. I saw them happen before with Mm -hmm. hope. Mm Because I saw, as I saw it happening, and I was growing, because I come out of the 60s era, um, I was a Black Panther in the party, I was first resurrection Islam, I was, I participated, my husband uh, uh, walked by faith in Islam, and um, so 
I saw a lot of the history that was occurring in this country. You know, I was, like I said, I was a part of the Black Panthers. And so I'm like, okay, uh, this happened. We did this. We resisted. And something, we felt like something changed. And then I lived another decade, okay? <laughs> and um, I'm like, okay, well, it hasn't changed enough. But I continue to do the kind of work that I do. You know, I've been in community organizing and development and work with attorneys and private detectives. So I've seen, <coughs> I've seen the onslaught. And I'm a mother of three African-American sons. So I've seen what I considered an onslaught in the African-American community, especially against black men. But as I got older, let's say in my 50s, I got to 50. Things are going to get better. And I believe that. And I believe that in a way that kept me motivated, that kept me working, that kept me engaging in things that would make a difference, I thought, in the community. And then we've come to the current administration. And we've come to, and, just, and before he got elected, things began, as you said, just around the world. I see things um, happening, and I am a believer. So when I think about end times and harvest and all of that, and I watch the world do what I consider kind of crumbling around me. You know, they say everything recycles every 20 to 30 years. Um, but this feels different. This does feel different, what's happening. We've seen oppression and hate and disrespect and, you know, um, but something about this time and what's happening around the world this time, and also as a woman of faith, and we've talked about this, is different. Something yeah. on the spiritual plane is different. Because one of the things that you're saying is what I saw as things change. I saw progress. Mm-hmm. But then I can reach, like I said, when I was about 50 or so, what I saw the change was going backwards. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going forward mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. It was starting to, uh, it was just very negative. In my house, for instance, my husband, you could not use profanity. <laughs> I mean, not ever. You didn't say anything negative. You never cussed. You didn't even say damn. And now my son's... Um, especially my youngest son in the 30s, he just thinks it's common, it's so common to use all this negativity in their language. And, so, this and they not, don't realize what they're doing to themselves. That ain't got nothing to do with race. And I was going to say, because this is not <laughs> just an African, at least, you know, at least people who may hear this think that we're only talking about African-American. This is a, uh-uh. a problem across the board, but which ties into the greater issue that I want to ask you about. Um, there is a, as we look at how the five stages of how cultures disseminate into genocidal behavior. I'm struck by this. There's these five stages, and I don't have them all in my head to memory. Um, When I do presentations about, about this, I think about it. One of the things that we know is implicit in that is sort of this loss and manipulation of one's culture right. and how we defined ourselves right. and who we are. And it makes me want to ask you, um, as we're looking at what's happening in this acclimation of cultural manipulation by leaders who don't have our best interests in heart, so which makes people feel that this is how I'm supposed to be white or this is how I'm supposed to be black. This is what it means to be Asian or or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just would like to know what your thoughts are on that because I, I do feel like there's a lot of internalized oppression going on with our youth who are inadvertently perpetuating the destruction of themselves and culture as we speak globally. Not I have 
you've given me my hope. They're my hope, and you know this. Oh, yeah, yeah, Most yeah, of yeah, my yeah, work yeah, is yeah, with yeah, youth, yeah, and I love yeah, youth. Yeah. And one, All of mine. <laughs> yes, and, and I know you have a tremendous love for them, too. Mm-hmm. But when you think about, um, uh, you know, I, as we try to share with them from the lessons we've learned in life, that they need to be a keen, uh, in tune with the manipulation of how people define them through media and culture and what's in the fads and all that kind of stuff, that makes them define themselves in ways that's nearly has nothing to do with culture, right. their own right. or others, right. and has nothing to do with the development of a real self that's going to be a contributing member to a society where we imagine America, where everyone's at their brightest and operating in their gifting. Right. So I want to know what you think about that cultural manipulation that's going on among youth. Well, one thing that I, I think and feel and know is that without a foundational education of who you are, then it's almost impossible to aspire to be better. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that we do not do in this country is educate the African-American youth about who they are, where they come from, and a true history Mm -hmm. of themselves. Mm -hmm. So there was a time with mine, because I knew it, um, based on the history of somebody not giving it to me and then me rebelling against that. So I went and found out who I was mm-hmm. uh, and made a commitment to myself at a very young, somewhere in my mid-20s, that I would always reflect who we were mm-hmm. as a people so that young people could see that there was a positive aspect of being black. Mm-hmm. Even though I lived in a predominantly um, a European environment, I'm from Woodland, mm-hmm. so there's very few African-Americans there, but I thought it was important, and people ask me why I lock, all, why I look a certain way, why I was a, I made a commitment to that mm-hmm. because I saw what was happening to my people, mm-hmm. and I saw young people not being educated. I have been fighting for education in the schools so that we could give them that foundational knowledge so then when they got to a point where they wanted to reject something, they could reject something else, but they wouldn't reject themselves. See, our young African-American students have no, most of them don't know who they are, and especially if you're in California, you do not know well, who you are. Well, and of course that has to do with the fact that our history is left out of history. That's what I'm saying. And, and, and exactly what you're saying in the sense of it's hard to know who you are if you're not being taught it and your parents were kept from their education as a result of slavery. And yes, slavery does impact everything that we see today. That's why we still celebrate certain holidays. Thank I always you. laugh when people say, that was 400 years ago. And then I'll say, well, why are you still practicing little battles of the, the war and stuff right. today? We have President's Day. We have all these things today that are related to the past. But you are exactly right. I have always felt, and it's still a huge problem today, that our educational system has left uh, black and brown and even women. I mean, we can go through the whole thing, the whole hierarchy of um, uh, it's an educating and illiterate populace. And so I'm always struck even here at this beautiful university that I have. And I know people are doing their best that I have lots of interns and they're graduating, not knowing anything about themselves, about other cultures, about other ethnicities, and even resenting having to learn that. But as you and I have talked and we know not having a connecting a connection to your culture is the beginning of your own demise. Right. Not seeking your history, and we know in our school system you're not going to get it, so you have to go out and get it, so you make sure that you have it. Right. And not having a connection to your language, your original language, your original land, your original sense of self, and in fact, 
hating who you are, which is why I'm doing that documentary, The Cost of Darkness, Mm -hmm. hating Mm -hmm. who you are contributes to us being manipulated as a people. And again, I'm not just talking about African-Americans. This is happening with women, white folks, uh, people of Asian Islander descent. I mean, it's happening to everyone at levels, but it creates and contributes to what we're seeing. And this is where people don't get it today. That's how someone like a, forgive me for saying this, Trump got elected. That's, that's how, that's why we're seeing across the globe leaders who seem maniacal and crazy and genocidal in the direction that they're going have gotten elected. So I just, besides, besides this disconnect with culture, what other things in your opinion, based on your observations that you have seen that is contributing to a malaise that we're seeing globally? I mean, what other thing besides that? Because that's a core one, disconnection of culture and who you are, because you can't love others. If you don't, and don't know yourself. who you, if you don't know who you are, right. And, 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 and it sets precedence for so many things. Once you have an education, once you have a love for yourself, then you can aspire to do other things. If you, if you don't love yourself, and I can use the example of I've raised three sons, right? And I can tell you there's, there are, there's, there, there's evidence based that says that by fourth grade, and it's true because mm-hmm. I watched it, mm-hmm. I have brilliant, I was raising, still I am, <laughs> brilliant sons. I mean, they could, they they could read, brilliant. they could this, they could that. By the time they got into the fourth grade in this educational system that's here, because <laughs> I'm That's from here, very Eurocentric. focused, about, let's yeah. be honest. They yes. began to disconnect from themselves. Yeah. They began to not want to be... Um, uh, who they are to excel mm-hmm. they began to okay we can run we can jump we can because I got some basketball players I got some track stars I got all of that but they're also academically sound brilliant, yes. but they did not they no longer wanted to be academically brilliant they wanted to go off and because this is what we give accolades to in our communities mm-hmm. we and admire the, media the sport it. yeah and and so so it's hard to say about the other things because without that that foundation, then it's hard for them to connect to the next level and of so, whatever that's even whether it's in what what field they want to go into. What it, it's just hard to connect because there's still there's that self hate that they don't identify as self hate. Right. In fact, they identify it as self love. Yes, they say I'm bad. I'm good. <laughs> I'm this. I'm that I live with it. I'm telling you, I didn't raise three no, sons. No. And and so they think something about themselves that's not true that was true for them when they were mm-hmm. young, but it is no longer as true for them. They're still, you know, great and talented young men, but they would be so much better if they loved themselves. And they think they do. Well Oh, my sons think they love themselves, but oh my goodness, their behavior says no. <laughs> well, um, I oh, I know we're this. all over the place, but there's just so much I've out I wanted to sit down and talk to you about because what you're talking about. So there's always been this argument. Is it the individual or is it the system? And you and I know the system plays a larger impact on populations of in people it. than the individual. So that thinking comes out of what's been defined for them through media and right. through community and right. through education as right. far as this is what black people are supposed to be, which means you can be an athlete, you can be a rapper. This is with the message that they get from the systems okay. that make up our whole yes. system yes. that 
trickle down to the individual level and society likes to think that oh it's the individual if you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps then this wouldn't be happening but you and I know there's that systemic impact and so I know we're focusing on looking at education politics media healthcare economics and I forgot the last one but they have a compounded institutional impact um, and they all define your worth and who you are and if we asked anyone regardless of their background, color, creed, race. And there, I only believe there's one race, the human race. Right. But if you ask anybody that, they would think that they have this freedom and this total independent thought <laughs> and, and not realize that all of us have been conditioned mentally since the inception through our education system, through the media, through other institutions that would let us know, and people could do this, who ranks the highest and who's on the bottom. And it almost follows a color line. The darker your skin goes, most people know. In fact, when I've asked in workshops that we're doing, if you had to choose another color or ethnicity or thing to be, you can't choose yourself because everyone wants to say, oh, I would choose me again. And well, that's good. That's good. But if you had to choose, um, most of them never choose the darkest skin folks in the world. Because why? Because we understand, as we're imagining in America, that already darkness has been defined as something bad to be, which is why I wrote Grandpa's Everything Black Bad. Mm -hmm. To this day, it's a global phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And it's very painful for people to admit it as you go around and say, why did you choose... Because usually the next one after white is Asian of Asian Pacific Islander descent, and then maybe after that, you know, um, uh, you know, Latino. After that, Native. You know, it's always on the bottom. But it's proof that everyone has got that collective message, institutional message that. Black is bad, and even black people themselves. Oh my goodness! Um, that you have no power, right. you have no resources. Right. In fact, you're not smart. You're dumb. And scholars are still supporting this exactly. with their research, which we know a lot of racism was steeped in scholarship, mm-hmm. anyways. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious. You know, so you, we we talk about the disconnect of culture and the individual manifestation, like what your sons are doing. But what do you think about these systems and how they're constructed and set up? They're set that that are kind of defining internally to us who we are. And what are you going to think? What do you think it's going to take to imagine America where people of color in particular break that paradigm? Because it's insidious and prolific and wide in its uh, scope, um, the systems and how they're impacting our cultures and communities. You know, I'm not I'm not really good at having the solution to the problem, but one of the things that I know is that that as we continue to separate ourselves by color, okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't and I'm probably going to say it in a different way that that would be anticipated because I don't I think it's important that I'm able to celebrate the darkness of my skin. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be like everybody mm-hmm. else. I don't want to be like Mike. Mm-hmm. I want Mike to be Mike. <laughs> <laughs> And I want to be me. Mm-hmm. So if if I am a black woman, I want to be respected by being a black woman. I don't have to be like you. I don't have to be like anybody. Mm-hmm. I have the opportunity and ability to be me because I know some incredible black women. Mm-hmm. But I also know some incredible white women. And I know some incredible black brown women. But, but what we do in this social order mm-hmm. is we continue to go into this multicultural thing that 
creates an environment from my perspective that is weakening us instead of growing us and strengthening us as we want to melt down to be one mm-hmm. then there's no strength in the many and 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 we we have you know, I something bring something different. Yeah, yes, I bring yeah. something different to the table than than my my white sister. I bring something different than Teresa brings to the table. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have what I bring, then it would that Teresa wouldn't be able to receive something that that she has received from the relationship that we have with one another. And that's my Latina grad, uh, goddaughter. Um, and I have because in my own family, I have native uh, my grandchildren. I got a native. I got a Latina, I got black, and I have the mixed, you know, a mixed white. Mm-hmm. So, and each one of them have their own special gift, and mm-hmm. I don't want to dilute mm-hmm. it with anything. So, this thing that we that we're going around the world saying that multiculturalism is the answer to everything, I don't, I, I disagree with it, and I think that people would would you know they would want to argue with me about that, but I think it's how we did. Dif- how we would define well i i know rather than i know in talking to you as my elder for many years uh you abhor uh things that are put under the the schism or the the moniker of multiculturalism when it's just to make people feel better and not really have and it doesn't really have any merit of coming together as a community you are essentially a storyteller like when we talk (laughs) we tell stories to each other and sometimes when i get off the phone after we talk, I'm kind of thinking to myself, wow, that was so profound. I wish I would have recorded some of the things that she said. So I, I want to ask you this one where it says, can you think um, about a personal experience where sharing a story made a difference for you uh, or for the person in my case, you can say me, that where you shared a story based on the current state of affairs or life or imagining a better America that made a difference? That made a difference. Mm-hmm. You know me, Sandy. I always challenge whether I make a difference. You do. Um, because it seems like I've been working to do what I do for so long. And and from my perspective, so little has changed because now we've come to this place where it's going backwards. Yeah. And all the things that we fought for, most people don't realize they've been reversed or disappeared. Yeah, they're gone. They're All gone. of that our ancestors fought for, and I mean from a variety of backgrounds, they're gone. All those those laws have been changed. You know, m- most people don't realize that. And you're right. And so, and, and I have to ask you on a sidebar on that very quickly, how does that make you feel? Because my dad left this earth June 25th, 2017. And he and others who left recently were thinking, baby, you know, I can't believe that this is a repeat of everything we went through. And it's going to be worse now for y'all because you have media and to spread this virus of hate and nastiness even faster. Um, And then, you know, knowing that most laws have been overturned and they're taking them away even as we speak, they're doing horrible things to people under the guise of uh, protecting and all this. How does that make you feel? I mean, how does that storyline make you feel? Not good. And one thing that continues to resonate in me as you say that is my mom. I can just hear her. My mother lived for 96 years, right? And one thing that happened during her life was that Barack Obama was elected president. She saw that before she she died. She saw that before Mm -hmm. she died. So when it happened, my mother was like, she was so excited that Barack Obama had been elected. And in, in the same breath, 
She said, now I got to pray for him mm-hmm. because they're going to kill him mm-hmm. before he's, I said, oh, mom, don't worry. They, ain't gonna, they can't kill him. <laughs> they can't kill the first black president. He's going to live. But what they will do under him is they're going to start taking things away. What they, what they will do under him is they're going to start making it, him look bad so that we can look bad. And, and what can I say? That's exactly what happened from my perspective um, yeah. is as they had somebody there that they could blame for any negative thing that had ever happened mm-hmm. and for the things that were not good that were still happening. And it was almost like it was a setup. It was like, oh, OK, we can elect a black president. We can keep him in for eight years. And then for the next 20 years, we can blame him for every mistake that ever happened in the in the world like we've been doing for so long. And I, so I, I, you know, I, I'm struck by, you know, how many of us of color of African descent thought the same thing. My dad, who I hardly ever saw cry at all, I saw him cry when my sister died. I'd never heard my dad cry like that before. And then I saw him cry when Obama became president and he was trying to hide it from me. He was laying on the bed. And um, I said, Dad, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, I'm okay, baby. And I said, what's going on for you? What are you feeling right now? And he said, I I never thought I'd live the day to see this as a black man and what they put black men through in this country. Mm -hmm. People want to act like it don't exist. And they have castrated us literally and physically. Mm -hmm. They have done so much to keep us down. They have defined the roles that we can be in society. And when I was growing up, that was a train porter, a chauffeur, uh, a chain gang. You know, they were putting us in jail for small, no offenses at all. I mean, in fact, the prison industrial complex still does that. Trumped up charges. Um, as well as real charges, but disproportionately, we go to jail right, for it. Right. And he said, um, and he goes, and I just don't think he's going to make it. He said the same thing. I know a lot of our elders were thinking that because they were worried about him. I even had um, that thought. And and you're right. It's ironic. But this has happened at least two or three other times in history. It's ironic that after having such a hopeful thing happen, if you just look at the concept of someone who's black, being elected and forget what he did or didn't do or whatever right, right. or did. Um, it was amazing to go swing the pendulum. I'm sorry to what appears to be outright isms of every sort, mm-hmm. sexism, mm-hmm. racism, mm-hmm. homophobism. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, whatever mm-hmm. the particular focus mm-hmm. is, um, is fascinating to me. And it is a complete rebuttal and it is amplified, amplified people's, embolden people to feel that they can be okay showing their racisms or isms in general and knowing what you all fought for are still fighting for. And all I could keep thinking is what must they think? Cause I, I have seen a ton of my elders pass over and I almost feel like they're saying I've had enough. I almost feel like that even though they've lived full lives, some of them haven't, but I almost feel like they're saying I am tired. Next generation step up. So I, w- I, I want to know, how do you feel? That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. I feel tired. Mm-hmm. I feel, um, I want to say next generation step up, but I feel like I can't say that because I, I, I feel what I was suggesting earlier, that there's something that happens. There's a breakdown for my 
young people, for the African-American or the African child, wherein they aren't given the same opportunities to get to a place where they can hold something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. They, don't even, they have nothing to hold on to. What they're holding on to now is technology. And, and if we look at Puerto Rico right now, uh, oh, when he said that the other day, I like to have a heart attack. With them anyway, but um, uh, Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, I know um, who you're talking. Yeah. About. Um, uh, what what are what, what do they have? We have little black girls that don't want to be black. We got you know we got people buying uh, blue and green eyes so that they can so they can change themselves and anything mm-hmm. so that they don't have to be who they are. So when I think about my, my youngsters and, and, and I think about the future, and believe me, I've got incredibly brilliant grandchildren. I know you do. I've seen them. <laughs> I don't have to believe you. I've seen them. And, yeah. and, and I look at a world that is not designed for them to be successful. It's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. And I, so I can't go and tell them, work hard, mm-hmm. and you can get what you want. That was my, one, have- dad's, my dad's one regret. He used to say, baby... No matter what, if you work hard, you can do it. And he later told me, you are so amazing, and I am so proud of you. Daddy wishes he would have told you that even if you work hard as an African-American woman, you are going to have it tough in life. And he was right. He goes, I have, that's my one regret that I have that I should have said to you, that it is tough. And it's, you know, uh, it's tough for so many people. Oh, yeah. But he wanted, he wanted to know because I have brothers, one brother who was, who's been stopped by the police almost 30 times. We have a national reunion. And if you ask, ask these brilliant, educated African-American males, all of them have been stopped. At and least stopped. Multiple times mm-hmm. for nothing. I was stopped. Mm-hmm. For nothing, really, for nothing, twice as a woman. And, and, I, and I still cringe at the response that I get, you know, when I see a police car. I feel bad about this because a lot of people in my family are police mm-hmm. and sheriffs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just, I guess I, I want to know, what would you like to see? Because you, we have been there, done that. We've been with a lot of movements, a lot of organizations who are saying they profess to be for equity and diversity, social, all the things actually Imagine in America stands for. And honestly, I'm here with Imagine in America because I do feel hope. I was here when they came to visit, and there was something in my spirit that said, this might be a possibility, this might be a thing. And I committed to sitting on this committee, giving a lot of my time and love because I'm still hoping and trying. But we have both been often over the years disappointed that people don't walk the talk. I don't think that's going to be the case here. I hope it's not going to be the case. Right, right. But our experience has been 99.9% of that's the time, the that's the case. There's a kind of a recirculation of funding and grants within each other, and research things, <laughs> and, and the people that they're trying to or they profess to want to impact are left out. And so I'm hoping that they won't do that here, that it won't just be kind of an isolated academic experience where we share research and we sound good and all that and the people i've met certainly have seemed to be the antithesis of that but as i um since we only have a few minutes and as i look at this what would you say that you would hope that imagine in america needs to do if they're going to be genuine and authentic to making the changes that they want to think and uh, you know want to to make okay imagine america needs to call marilyn iris nix hayes (laughs) (laughs) 
and and say to her that how can we help you do what you've been trying to do for the last 50 years? Okay. How can we help you um, uh, bring shed light on the African-American community, not only in, you, well, let's just do it right around here. My folks got here in 18 and 49. They were a part of the development of Yuba City, Sutter County, all of that. The barbershops, I can tell you stories, but not only can I tell you the stories, I've got documentable proof that my great-grandfather was with um, uh, um, uh, the first Juneteenth in California. Didn't have nothing to do with Texas. Mm -hmm. It had to do with San Francisco, Napa, California, Marysville, California, and people that were resisting. We've been resisting here for a long time. Mm -hmm. So what would I tell them to do? i tell them to give me a call. Okay. So let's talk it. about what's going on. It. Let's create a library that also speaks to the history and the culture of my people. Yeah. Because y'all got one over here that speaks to that. We got one over here. Go to West Sacramento. You got some Russian history. You got it all over. But my people that were here that... A few million of them are still at the bottom of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and they I did wanna, not make it here. I want to. I am. Go ahead. I want to tell them to call you because I know that would be helpful. <laughs> and I also want to. I know, but I also want to say, um, and and that's why I'm still here right now, and I hope time bears this out because I have been disappointed many, many times with organizations because um, uh, we lose ourselves. I know we've been all over the place, but I love you. <laughs> I've learned so much. I don't know if I said anything important. But yes, but you thank did. you for the opportunity you just did. to sit down and have a conversation yeah. because oftentimes that's what we need to do, and that's what we don't do. Mm -hmm. People don't talk to each other mm -hmm. anymore. No. We talk at each other. We've got to learn how to communicate, which yeah. means that there's an exchange yeah. that goes on. So, thank so you. So, Sankofa, sister, love you. <laughs> that was Marilyn Hayes and Sandy Holman, who participated in IA Story Share at the 2017 Imagining America National Conference. At the end of each session, we asked everyone who shared with us to also complete the sentence, I imagine an America. I imagine an educated America that goes beyond a Eurocentric education in our school system and where it teaches them about system dynamics. To hear those short segments, go to our website, imaginingamerica.org, and click on IA Story Share. You can subscribe to the IA Story Share podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. And if you'd like to contact the IA Story Share Project, our email address is connect at imaginingamerica.org. The views presented in this podcast are not necessarily those of Imagining America, the University of California Davis, or the University of California Regents. Our opening theme music is by Joe Kai. Our closing music today is by Camila Ortiz. Imagining America, Artists and Scholars in Public Life is a national consortium of academic institutions and cultural organizations based at the University of California Davis. Davis.